Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Alicia Jarrett. Uh, Alicia is a passionate and, as you're going to see, a driven global real estate investor. She's based out of Australia and uh, she's conducting deals all over the US, though. Uh, she co owns multiple businesses. We're going to talk about maybe some of them, uh, but she's really focused on leadership in business, investing in land uh, and all across the US. And her business ventures provide efficient real estate marketing and world-class data solutions. So we're going to talk a little bit at, near the end about her real estate marketing and what uh, new she has to offer there. She's also a uh, part of uh, Wilda, which is uh, for women in business. So this is an interesting organization. I want to touch on that as well. And we have lots of other topics. Alicia, welcome. Eric, thank you so much. It's uh, I, I'm I'm in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, how are we going to pack that all into this conversation? <laughs> but I'm super excited because there's so much that I want to share with your listeners, and uh, particularly because I think you know your your podcast topic, you know, out of the rat race. Um, I think I'm living proof because I don't have a background in real estate. My my background is quite different. That if I can do this, anybody can. So I'm super excited to share uh, my journey and my story with you and your listeners today. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, exactly. I think this is a this is the nice thing about real estate. Everybody is somewhat familiar with it, and uh, I think with a little bit more education and a little bit more skills, I think it's um, I think it's something that's uh, achievable for many many uh, individuals around sure the world, is. as you we're, you're going to demonstrate, but especially <laughs> here in the United States. So I think the first thing that I'd like to uh, talk about is uh, kind of like you're investing, you're in Australia, and you're investing in the United States, and maybe you're investing somewhere else as well, as well. And uh, so how can tell me about kind of like the challenges of remote investing, uh, and kind of like how you overcame them, or how you organize your, uh, your business to sure. basically be able to do that. Sure. So, so firstly, we are only investing in the United States now. So when we started, we, we did have some investment properties here in Australia as well. But the way that uh, the investment market works over here is very different to the US in terms of the strategies that you can do, the access to information, the point of entry into market, a whole range of different reasons as to why we slowly exited out of investing in Australia and entering more into investing in the US. So where we started, Eric, we, we started in the, the fix and flip market and we had a real passion for affordable housing because know both my partner Matt and I we are we're passionate travelers we we love to get on planes and go and explore the world and in a lot of our trips to the US we were seeing that there was you know after the the, the crash in 2008 um, a real heartache when when we used to walk down some streets in the US there was a real heartache around so many houses that were just sitting there as as potential investments to fix and flip and so many people needing affordable housing. So that's where we started. Our strategy was around affordable housing and doing fix and flips in that market. And we did really well. It was great. Mm -hmm. But there comes a point in time, I think, Eric, when you have to assess your strategy and assess the, uh, assess the asset class that you're in for your strategy and ask yourself, is this still working? And quite a few years ago now, um, when we asked ourselves that question, it was at a time where the fix and flip market had a lot of people in there doing it. No, no thanks to a lot of the television programs that were out there promoting, you know, hey, everybody can go and do a fix and flip. 
So the, the competition to actually get an off-market property at a decent price and then have your after-repair value at the right price and getting a contract team in place and managing all of that remotely, which I'll get to in a moment, really threw up quite a few challenges for us. And, and it forced us to, to pause and assess well, what's the direction of our business? You know, we, we still want to do real estate in the US, but is there a different asset class that still provides us with, um, with cash flow, income and, and great deals? And if so, what can we explore around that? And, and we landed, funnily enough, pardon the pun, but we landed on <laughs> land. <laughs> um, so now our business is all about doing investing in, in land, which we can touch on more in a moment. But to come yep. back to your question around the challenges of investing remotely. I think if I can say anything to your listeners, it's that us doing this from another country is really no different to anybody doing this from another state. Mm -hmm. And we talk to a lot of people in our business because aside from our land investing business, we also have a real estate marketing company called Supercharged Offers, um, where we provide services for people who are real estate investors that might be great at doing real estate deals, but you know maybe they're not so great with the marketing stuff. So we help them with that. And interestingly enough, you know I talk to a lot of customers in that space that they might be in California and they're doing deals in North Carolina, and they're like, you know, the time difference—it's so frustrating. And I kind of go, try 14 hours time difference. You know, exactly. <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it. So yeah. some of the challenges I think Eric that that we've had to overcome with that is just management of time and really putting the right resources in place to make sure that we can cover our, our customer service and the, and the needs of both our sellers and our buyers. So we, we have a team in place now. Um, but also some of the things of being an out-of-country investor is just some of the basic stuff of needing to open bank accounts, needing to register corporations and LLCs, um, needing to you know find an accountant in, in the right country that can help you out with all the advice. Uh, needing to make sure that you've got, you know, registered address and all of those more logistical things. But here's the thing, Eric, in the current world that we live in, where most of us are doing business virtually, none of those problems are insurmountable. They're all overcome quite easily. It's just a, a case of, you know, finding a way through them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, so one, so it sounds like we had the same problem actually in here, in our market, uh well not exactly the same problem but we found challenges in our market we live in california and we couldn't um we couldn't find the right um the right properties or the right investment that would work with our strategy our strategy yeah. was our goal was to achieve financial freedom and we wanted to build like to have like rental properties that were cash flowing with a reasonable uh return and we couldn't find that here so we had to go outside in order to find it i know a lot of people out there say oh no you should really invest in your backyard sometimes it's not possible to invest in your backyard and you can't move Correct. and yeah. in this day and age it's quite feasible um, to go and go in another state uh, go in another country that's a little bit more complex uh, and, <laughs> and it can be done it can be done as as you uh as you clearly demonstrate and um and this is interesting and the technology is is, uh, is really enabling a lot of that it and, you really know, being, is yeah because we couldn't do that like i was thinking like in 2000 and like maybe like 10 15 years ago we couldn't do that we didn't have like no. docusign there was no uh, iphone and stuff like that with a lot of cameras 
like four or five cameras and yeah. all of that and then and, and all the to... different mm-hmm. yeah I, I totally agree with you I and mean, even down to all the different um apps that have been developed for you know just to give you a really quick example there's an app out there called land glide and you can literally walk up to a property now and open this app and it will through gps coordinates it will show you all the corners of and perimeters of the property like you are almost looking at a survey nice. and so i think you know I'm, I'm with you. 15 years ago, we probably couldn't have done this from another country. Mm-hmm. Probably even if we lived in the US, there'd be challenges to doing this from another state. But nowadays, there's literally everything at your fingertips to be able to help you. And more so than that, what I see and what I love about real estate investing is the network of people that are out there to help you. Mm-hmm. No yes. matter what mm-hmm. asset class you're in, there's there's Facebook groups, there's online groups, there's meetup groups, there's you know, there's different forums, there's, um, you know, educators, there's a whole range of different people out there that if you can't find the answer, you're bound to find someone who knows the answer. And, uh, and I think that that's also a wonderful way to, you know, collaborate in this environment to be able to do what we do. Yeah, exactly. Because I was trying to do this business, I was trying to do real estate rentals in California, when I moved here in 2000. Uh, I had a lot of uh, stock options and I wanted to diversify into real estate, but I couldn't find anything in California that really made sense that had the right returns. Yeah. And I couldn't, and I couldn't look, it didn't make sense for me to travel on a, go on a plane and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then start investing in some other, other States. Uh, it was, yeah. uh, it was not feasible. Now, you know, this is, this is all opened up now with, uh, with technology and, uh, and as you mentioned too, the real estate uh, industry and the real real estate investors in general, it's a very great community to work with. There's a lot of uh, people that are there to collaborate and partner with you. And it's, uh, it's pretty unique from that perspective. I totally agree. And that's one thing I've found very refreshing because we haven't found that here in Australia, to be honest, Um, but the Mm -hmm. U S there's a lot more opportunity. Um, There's enough deals out there for everybody to go around. Oh yeah. uh, you know, especially in, in the land space, that's one thing is when, you know, coming back to your question around, um, you know, why land and, and yep. you and I were talking before this call about choosing land as an asset class. And what's been really interesting about that is for us to, to realize the amount of deals and the amount of properties that are actually available across the US is just astounding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and land gets recycled all the time. So, you know, yeah. it's an asset class that can be used a number of different ways, a number of different times. And can change hands multiple times before it actually gets into the hands of someone that might want to utilize it. Mm. Um, and, and there's value in that, that process across the entire value chain. So it's, it's a really interesting asset class, Eric. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, but I, I, w- I want to know a more, obviously, about that sure. particular one. And before <laughs> we get on that is about alignment. I think you mentioned something about uh, what I call strategy alignment is that you have a goal, your goal is achieving financial freedom. And then it's really to find a strategy that that makes sense. And what you realize is that with a fix and flip, it uh, it was not there because you, you were your your strategy was really not in line with your goal of achieving financial freedom and passive income Correct. because you had to constantly find a new property and work 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 sell it and then find another one right so Correct and and we had a a time there where we had a few properties on the go at once but the the time frame was getting stretched out in order to you know recycle that money and get that money yeah. back and for me mm-hmm. if your ultimate goal is cash flow and financial freedom then the velocity of money, you know, how quickly you can cycle your money through and reuse it to grow more, 
is hugely important. And we were finding mm. in that fix and flip phase that that wasn't happening. Yeah. So, uh, so hence the change in strategy. The, and we're the land. We <laughs> All right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, the land because this is not obvious. Um, so now I don't, I don't know anything about the, the strategy that you're using, but this is not obvious to me that if I want to achieve financial freedom, that I'm going to look at land, uh, land acquisition as, yeah. uh, as a strategy. So, so tell me about, about that strategy, what kind of investment you're looking at, etc. Sure, sure. So, so with land, first and foremost, we are marketing direct to, to owners of vacant properties. And this could be for, for our business, this is vacant residential, commercial, industrial, acreage, rural, you name it. If it's vacant land that hasn't been used, we're going after it. Because the, the goal for our business at the end of the day is to try and make sure that we can make land usable. Now, here's where I think the role of a land buyer or a wholesaler, as, as we're often referred to, but I like to call us land buyers because we're not real estate agents. We're actually buying the land and doing stuff mm -hmm. with it. Here's where I think our role is important, Eric. A lot of sellers that we come across are holding onto their land for a long time for different reasons. There's probate issues that need to be sorted. There's title issues that need to be cleaned up. There's survey boundary issues that need to be sorted. There's, you know, there's liens and taxes on the property because it's been unused for so long. And a lot of the times these sellers literally kind of step and forget that they're, they're out of sight, out of mind. If I'm not near the property, particularly for those that have inherited the property that might be living in another state, which is very common, yeah. um, they don't want anything to do with it. They just want to get rid of it. And I think there's a huge gap in the market because a lot of realtors and, you know, we've got realtors on our team who we absolutely love, um, but there's a lot of realtors that don't want to really deal with vacant land for two reasons. One, they don't want to have to sort through and fix all those problems that I just listed. Yeah. And two, the commission when you're selling, you know, a $20,000 piece of land as opposed to a $400,000 house, it's not really in it for them. Yeah. But the role of a wholesaler is to get these properties for, you know, a fair market price. So if, if we say a fair market price, it is a reduced price because we're taking on the risk of fixing these problems, finding the end buyer and doing all of the work to make that happen. And the mm. seller doesn't have to do anything. So coming back to our goal of, of, you know, financial freedom, what land is then able to provide us is really, you know, three, three strategies. The first strategy is cash. So we get a property, let's just say we might get a property under contract at um, 40 cents on the dollar or 40% of market value. You can use either equation, but we'll just use 40 cents on the dollar. At the moment with the, the market and how hot the market is, we're actually now reselling those properties at you know 85 to 90 cents on the dollar. And that spread in between is where we're making our profit. We get rid of the property for the seller and fix the problems for them so they can be stress-free. We're then finding a buyer for that property and making sure that the property can be utilized and used and giving it to them as a discount. And we're taking that, that cut in the middle. So we can also recycle that. And for a good property, Eric, we can often get it under contract and have it sold and closed within a matter of weeks. Um, and that's a lot quicker than a fix and flip for a house. <laughs> Even cleaning the title, cleaning all, all these issues. If, if, but... there's, if there's major problems, you're looking at more like a few months. Um, okay. But if there's no problems with the property and the seller just needs to get rid of it and there's an active buyer out there and oh, we, yeah, we've yeah. worked really hard on an active buyer list, you can actually, you know, turn around these properties in a pretty quick time. Mm. The second strategy, though, is seller financing. 
So one of the big gaps in the market, particularly after the market crash as well, Eric, is, you know, we, we have some fantastic families and good, hardworking American citizens that come to us and they want to get back into to real estate. They, they want to build a house or start a business and they need a piece of vacant land, but their credit's really bad. No one's going to give them a loan. No one's going to help them out. And we become the bank. So, you know, seller financing land is, is a really great niche within the that asset class because banks don't lend money on vacant pieces of land. Right, yeah. um, but if we can become the bank and help people, it was almost like my passion with affordable housing. If we can help people back into owning a piece of property and doing that in a way that over time they can start to pay that off and, and get them to the stage that they can build something on it or if it's agricultural, they can put a, a business on it, things like that, then we're actually helping people's lives and we're getting cash flow on a monthly basis for that. And the third strategy, which is similar to that, is lease purchase. So it's your, your leasing to, to pay it off over time, um, but until it's paid off, you can't do anything with it. But again, cash flow strategy for us. Mm-hmm. So there's actually a lot of different things that you can do with land. Equally, you know, we, we've got a piece of land at the moment that, that we bought. It's 13 acres. It's in a fantastic place in Florida, in Hillsborough County. And um, it has a couple of issues with it around uh, needing to clear the land. But it's 13 acres surrounded by all these new developments. And we bought it for $10,000. And we're in the process of looking at subdividing that, that land and selling those lots off. And those lots will be more than what we actually paid for individually, what we paid for the land in total. Each lot will be at least $10,000. Exactly. So, or more than, you know, it's, um, so there's lots of different strategies you can do if you're willing to be creative and think about land through a number of different exit strategies. And I think sometimes in this asset class, Eric, a lot of people will look at a piece of land and go, oh, nothing can be done with that. But there's people out there that want to use land for hunting, for recreation, for camping, to put an RV on, to put a mobile home on, to add value to their existing property if it's the land next door. So there's actually a lot of different end buyers when you think creatively about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the, these, uh, so, so you buy a, a piece of land. I mean, we looked at buying a piece of land and where we invest right now and then and maybe build something on top of it. And uh, for rental properties and the, the numbers. So you have to be in a special market for that to, uh, to work because uh, for us, it didn't, ma- it didn't make sense. The cost of building mm-hmm. that, that particular house on that land, even though the, the land was almost free where we're going, um, yeah. you know, it didn't, the, the economics didn't make sense. It was like costing us more to build the, the property than what we can sell it for. Yeah. Um, so you have to be in a market. So uh, obviously a market that's hot enough that has enough uh, demand uh, for it to make uh, to make sense, right? Correct. Yeah. And I think it's also you know choosing your markets is is a really yeah. interesting topic which we can talk more about. But also you know choosing your end buyer and marketing your property, and knowing your numbers enough for your end buyer. Because just as you said, we have a lot of end buyers that are homeowner builders. They're building a property to live in. So yeah. therefore, a return on investment for them is not something that's top of yeah. mind because it's, you know, capital growth over time. We have yeah. other end buyers that are investors that want to put mobile homes on lots because they're cheaper to put on and you can still get a, a decent amount of rental return or, um, you know, capital growth over time uh, as well. But but it is about choosing the right market and the right price point based upon what type of property you're thinking of putting on there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that that goes for industrial property and commercial property as well. You know that they, they yeah. each have their their pros and cons and price points and entry entry strategies and exit strategies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like especially uh, about this strategy is multiple exits. It seems like so you have a yeah. piece of land and you have different ways really of which you can literally exactly. like carve out the uh, your uh, your land yeah. for, for different and- purposes, etc. Exactly. And it really then um, goes to uh, our marketing strategy, which can be multidimensional when it comes to selling a property. Got Mm. one property at the moment that is actually just on the perimeter of an urban area. So right next door to it is all these new developments and it's classified as rural residential. Now, a lot of people listening might be going, well, what does that mean? Pretty much in this county, this is in a a county in Florida, we we do a, a lot of our work in Florida. Um, this particular county, rural residential, it almost means you can do anything with it. So here's this category. You can put a house in it, mobile home, modular home, a barn, a farm. Um, you can put a fishery. You can actually build fisheries on it if you wanted to put ponds and do, do a whole range of things on it. You can put a, an apple orchard. You can put an orange orchard. The list goes on. But when my team, when we got this property under contract and whenever we get a property under contract, first thing we do is conduct really deep due diligence. What can be done? What can't be done? What are the restrictions? What are the setbacks? You name it, we will look at everything. And this particular property, we ended up with so many options on what to do that we're like, how do we market this to a potential end buyer? Because pretty much it's to anyone and everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've done. We've created a, a number of ads for this same property based upon the exit strategies that you can use because every ad will attract a different type of buyer. Mm-hmm. So you basically, so a couple of things in there, I mean, team, having a team, it sounds like, well, you need a team for a, maybe a lawyer to fix the title issue or a title company that's going to help you with that. Yep. Uh, you may need some other, uh, you know, all kinds of different groups of people to look at the zoning, the coding, what you can and cannot do with this. And, um, and I would say probably as you define also what is the highest and best use maybe for this piece of land, maybe you even have like architects that look at it and build some uh, or draw, not build, but draw some kind of, you know, these are the kind of things that you could do with this piece of land and yeah. then try to sell. So your job is really on the marketing side, making sure that, okay, well, we can fix all these. Uh, we have kind of like the cleanup work, cleanup crew, and then we have like, the dream crew that's going to go and and market the highest and best use. That's actually a great way to put it, the cleanup crew and the dream crew. Um, And and to come back to what you just mentioned with all of those people, we have about 70% of that on our team. So just to explain our team. And I want to reassure anybody listening that you don't need all of these people on your team to start doing land wholesaling because we just started with my partner, Matt and I, and we were doing most of it ourselves. Um, and for a lot of people out there, you know, they, they do things like self-closing where they won't use a title company because there's so many great tools out there to be able to do this. But for our team, we have a realtor on our team um, who has boots on the ground for us in a lot of locations. But we also joint venture with him on a number of properties that make sense to get out there on MLS and, and do, you know, a wider campaign on. We have a probate attorney to help us out with those title issues. Oh, yeah, we yeah. have mm-hmm. a number of title companies that we work with Um and when I say a number, it, depending upon where the properties are is why we need a, a few. But also um, title companies are so overwhelmed with work at the moment that we need a few more in our team to, you know, speed things up. Uh, but then as a side to that, because 
we're doing this as a full-time business. Like a, a lot of people out there, Eric, will do this as what we call a hobbyist. They might want to do one or two deals a month and have those deals bring them in, you know, $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 each. Great. That's fantastic. Great for a hobbyist. Our business, we want to do anywhere between 10 to 20 deals a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do consistently. So wow. therefore in our team, we've got, uh, mm-hmm. in addition to those that I mentioned, we've got three customer service people that actually take all of our seller and our buyer calls. They negotiate for me. Um, they put contracts in place. Now you mentioned things like DocuSign and, and what have you before. They All the tools that we use to make our business efficient, my team runs those. Um, and therefore I only get involved now when it's an escalation point of me needing to make a decision on something or where there's a real complex property that maybe I need to get some specialized advice um, involved as well. But we don't have an architect on the team, Um, but I do go out, I think within my network, I've got a lot of people that do, you know, we've got developers within our network, builders, um, things like that, that when I've got specific properties that might be that kind of exit strategy, I'll just go to them first and say, hey guys, have you got some ideas for this one? Mm -hmm. Um, And often they'll come back, you know, free advice, free ideas. Yeah, this one looks great. Go and do that. <laughs> or they'll buy it, <laughs> which is wow. even better. Yeah. So uh, tell me about markets. How do you identify the best markets for uh, for this strategy? Yeah. To be honest, Eric, it's actually really no different to any other market that you'd, that you'd look at, any other asset class. So if we take land, single family homes, you know, mobile homes, um, multifamily where you've got maybe you know 10 doors or less not not massive multifamily because that's a whole different market but in any kind of real estate there's always key things that we're looking for and land is no different you're looking for enough supply and demand within that area of the market that land is moving and there's enough active buyers out there you're looking for distressed properties so just as you would for a um a single family home a distressed property and land is it's been owned for a long time, nothing's been done with it, it's got behind on taxes, it's got liens on it, maybe it's overgrown, maybe it's got trash on it, you know, maybe they got it under a quick claim and it's been passed down through generations and, and they live out of state. There's a whole range of reasons why a piece of vacant, vacant land might be classed as distressed. Yeah. Um, we also then look at the, the demographic and topography of, of the location. You know, how many people are moving to that location? What's the migration rate? Is there, you know, an active growth in population? Is mm-hmm. it considered a growth path um, where, you know, there's certain growth paths in, in the US? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, we don't do path. major cities. Yeah. Like so we'll stay away. Often they talk yeah, about yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. So we'll stay away from the major cities and we'll do okay. more regional cities. Um, so it's about city size and urban development and has that city and more so that county are they investing into infrastructure and development so that there's, you know, there's enough jobs and growth and things like that happening. And then, so that's at that macro level, then down at the micro level, we're really just running the analysis on buyer and seller activity, comps, types of properties that are being bought and sold um, and the volume of properties available. And then we go Mm -hmm. in and market. Mm -hmm. Do you look at all at the number of uh, like cash buyers, for example, in the market to try to assess how many developers or um, or investors are actively involved in that particular area? Yes, some areas we do. Um, But what's interesting is that it's more so about how many properties are actually available and are things and very easily on things like Zillow. Now you can see, you know, what's your days on market average for that area? How many properties are being sold? 
you don't necessarily need to know if they're builders, developers, no. et cetera, et cetera. As long as there's an active amount of um, you know, buyers in the marketplace, there's means mm-hmm. that there's activity going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, some of our, our best buyers are actually just investors like you and I that are land bankers that if we were to look them up on paper, they just look like a standard person that might own yeah. a few properties. But uh, mm-hmm. so, um, and, and I think the more that we work an area and the more that we start to market, that's when we get into more of that detail of builders, developers, um, and we've got some great partnerships in place as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, as a first pass, yeah, it's just checking if there's enough activity going on and going for it. There was one, uh, the only other person I know that invests in uh, in land. Uh, she was explaining to me that it's it actually her father and, and was involved in land for the very longest period of time. And she invests really, she buys land in the middle of nowhere, what we would consider, what I would consider in the middle of nowhere. But for her, she's looking at uh, satellite images. She's looking at all kinds of fancy things going on. And she's looking at the path of progress, not in terms of residential development, but more in terms of where are they going to be in California, for example, where are they going to build a solar farm? Where is yeah, uh, this co- this company going to do uh, a, a build, building development? Where are they going to you know, pass lines for, uh, for electric, uh, whatever. All of that. Where where are roads planned for, you know, definitely where are more industries being planned for? Um, you know, we've, we're calling it, um, uh, I think the word that I was using with my realtor the other day is, is Greenland, which is, Mm -hmm. uh, I know a a lot of, um, marijuana crops that are popping up in in states Mm -hmm. that have been legalized so looking at different acreage and areas that that might be suitable for different types of crops that your end buyer would would actually be more like an investor in a medicinal area so you know Mm -hmm. the list goes on and it's actually pretty endless because as i said earlier there's always an exit strategy for land you just got to think a bit creatively about it so Mm -hmm. yeah all those things that the previous person you're speaking to 100 percent relevant yeah. And she was looking at, yeah, and she would, instead of selling the property, she would try to lease the property for the, uh, for, for that factory or for the, yep. uh, the solar farm. And, you know, then she, Love she that. can generate, yeah, they can generate cash flow from yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. But there's actually another person I know of in land that specifically looks for uh, land that can be used for two things. One, billboard rent. Oh, yeah, opportunity. yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> so right. land along the highways that can be used yeah. for billboards. Um, and second, cell tower rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd be amazed at the income that can be produced just from those two different exit strategies. Yep. So, you yep. know, land has a lot of different potential. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. And that comes to kind of like, I can see now why you uh, kind of uh, focus a lot on real estate marketing. And um, so tell us, uh, tell us more about that, because I think this, your real estate marketing is a little bit unique than the regular, you know, real estate broker, or even for us, like our turnkey, uh, for our turnkey yeah. investors, it's pretty simple. Here's the property, here's the cash flow, boom. You have to do a little bit more work and you have to entice them and, and maybe market this, that piece of land differently to different group because somebody might be residential Correct. developers, somebody does mobile, somebody does this, mobile homes and stuff. So yeah, tell us more about yeah, that. Correct. So um, our, our passion for marketing, so what, what you've just described there, Eric, is more on the disposition side. So when you're yes. marketing mm-hmm. a property for an, an end user or end buyer, um, and, and that's 
not the service that we're offering to a lot of oh, real okay. estate investors. But but I'll come back and touch on that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we do is a lot around, and you mentioned it before, which which is great. So I'll, I'll bring it in as an, as an example. But what we're doing is a lot is around the acquisition side, because for a lot of people out there, no matter what asset class they're in, having a consistent pipeline of deals coming through is often a big challenge. And you mentioned it before when it was around, you know, fix and flip, you're working on one property, you get that one done, and then you go to the next one. Mm -hmm. But if the next one isn't in your pipeline already, you see this huge gap in potential mm -hmm. cash flow and profit. And, uh, and that's when that velocity of money comes in, you know, really quite, quite importantly. So yeah. about, oh, this is going back about 18 months ago now, you know, Matt and I were sitting back, being that we're in another country, we had to sit back and really look at the efficiencies of our own business when it came to pipeline management and making sure our, our acquisition flow and our deal pipeline was always running consistently and we always had active deals in there to work on. Um, and we saw that there was a massive gap in the market around that for mm -hmm. a number of reasons. One, a lot of people that do real estate investing are great at doing the deals, but they're not that great at data management, marketing, um, understanding how CRMs work, you know, understanding how to nurture deals, understanding how Facebook ads work, uh, Google ads work, all of that kind of stuff that, that really ensures that their acquisitions is, is, um, is seamless. Yep. So we pulled together a system that basically manages our acquisition for us. And that, that's where Supercharged Offers was born. It was a it was a accidental business, Eric. We basically built it as our own system to manage yep. how we do our business. And then with our networks, we were showing it to a few people and they're like, can you do that for us? Can you do that for us? <laughs> so before we knew it, Supercharged Offers became a secondary business for us. Now we've got really fantastic customers where, they might be a, a, a one-person business or they might be like us where they've got a small team, but they don't want to waste time, energy, and money mm. on doing the acquisitions marketing. They'd rather yep. invest that time, energy, or money on what you just described, which is dispositions. Once mm. you get a property under contract, getting that bit's easy. Then finding your end buyer and making sure that your marketing is, is really active and promoting and, and thinking about all those different strategies. If you put your time and energy on that, You'll mm -hmm. close deals faster and you'll have more active buyers that you can nurture. So what yeah. we focus on is the acquisition side, which is how do you ensure that your pipeline is always working for you? Um, and we've got a number of different systems and processes that we've put in place to help people with that. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm always excited to talk about that because I see a real gap in the market around it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I and mean, when you get started, it's kind of uh, you find one deal, two deals and, you know, this is fine. And, and sometimes this is enough if that's that's all you're doing, one or two deals yeah. a month. But when you are ramping up and you're scaling up and now you have to find 10, 20 deals a month, it is a lot more challenging. It's not uh, it's not linear, and yeah. uh, you have to you have to think differently, and you have you to do. go in and get that information right there. Yeah, yeah and, and even it, to yeah. go from one to two deals to five deals a month is actually a big jump. And a lot yeah. of people go, "Oh, that sounds easy," but going from one to two deals to five deals, just think about it. That's mm -hmm. how many more people do you have to speak to? How many more pieces of marketing yeah. do you have to send out? And when you reverse engineer the conversion rates um, based upon whatever your business strategy might be, a lot of people are quite surprised at just how much marketing you need to do to get a property under contract, particularly yeah. in a hot market like we are now. Mm, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and this this one of the reason too why we started uh, our own uh, wholesaling company uh, like last year, 
Yeah. And we we have two two people that started that for us last year, and now they have like yeah they have like twelve people, and they've Amazing. automated a lot of that. So yeah, but yeah, it takes a lot of effort. It's a lot more contacts, a lot more. <laughs> individuals and involved in order to do this it's a lot more of a lot is what i say (laughs) exactly exactly and so i'm not so we have people that are running that as a completely separate uh, separate business and yeah Yeah. it is definitely challenging Uh, but it sounds like even your business is uh supercharged offers is uh is even more is a little bit broader than that even so it sounds like yeah yeah so i guess uh to, to summarize that we're basically doing all of the data all of the direct mail all of the digital marketing um all of that's feeding into a dashboard and we do that collaboratively collaboratively with our customers mm-hmm. but then once it's up and running the engine is just running for them so yeah. then similar to what you've just described there we're almost like this side team running their yeah. acquisitions marketing for them so that they can get on and focus on the things that bring them in revenue which is yeah, really what running a business is about yeah so before we uh, get, uh, we, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk about Wilda for women yes. in business. So tell, tell us more about that. Yes. So, so Wilda is a Women in Leadership and Development Alliance. It's actually a business that I have here over in Australia with a, a wonderful partner of mine, Karen. And so my background, as I mentioned earlier, when we started this call, and I said, if I can do this, anybody can, because I don't have a background in real estate. My background, Eric, is actually in leadership development, consulting and training. So I'm, I'm a facilitator by trade and, and I, I you know, love getting groups of people together and training. And one gap that we saw in the marketplace was specific training for bringing women together to provide women with a networking platform and to really look at how women, particularly in markets where it is male dominated, nothing against the blokes. We absolutely love you all and we need you all. But we work in a lot of industries um, across what you call the, the um, uh, there's, there's an acronym, but it's basically engineering, maths, science, and technology. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's all called STEM is the acronym. Yeah, and right. there's a lot of industries uh, across there that traditionally are very male dominated, particularly at those levels of leadership. So mm. we have a program that we partner with organizations on to really empower and nurture and lift up the networking of women. Uh, within those organizations so it's quite an intensive you know personal development program um, and something I'm very passionate about and uh, so we do run that here in Australia but I was speaking with you before I've also got some really great networks in the US of women in real estate and uh, I think watch this space I think there's going to be a few more things that might come out of um, some conversations I'm having at the moment around you know how do we lift women in 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 all industries um, and and not just women but how do we lift everybody? Because I think sometimes, you know, a lot of people go, why why do you have a leadership program for women and not men? And it's like, well, there's a lot out there for men, which is great, but this is not about being a non-male program. This is about how do you provide platforms for minority groups? And women is just one minority group. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that we're pretty passionate about. So, yeah, that's another business I've got here in Australia, which I love. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I think this is great. And you, meant, you, you can men, feel free to mention the ones that you know in, uh, in the United States, uh, if you want. Yeah, so, so there is one called Real Estate uh, Goddess, which is Monique Halm. Her surname is H-A-L-M. Um, and she's absolutely fantastic. She, she does a lot around women in real estate. And another wonderful friend of mine, Shimen Van Gundy, who is called the Queen of Mobile Homes. And she does a lot of programs and she has a podcast, which 
is not necessarily just for women, but she has a passion of, of lifting up and helping women to be self-sustainable. And one of her taglines that we often laugh about, and please don't take offence to this for any men listening, but <laughs> it's basically to say to a woman, you know, a man is not a plan. <laughs> you've got to be, you've yeah, got to, I've... you know, be self-sufficient these days. And, of um, course. And, and not just for, you know, being a, a breadwinner in the family, but also, you know, I think if anything over this last year has shown us that, I know a lot of families where the main breadwinner has been a male and they've lost their job or they've gotten yes. sick with COVID and things happen and life happens. So exactly. if we can all take responsibility for lifting each other up, then I think that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, so Alicia, uh, anything, how can people reach out to you if they want more information and uh, you know, get involved in anything you're doing? Sure. They can reach me a couple of ways, Eric. I'm happy for people to email me direct. Um, I'll give you my supercharged offers email. So that's Alicia, it's A-L-I-C-I-A. I always spell it because no one ever gets it right. <laughs> so Alicia at superchargedoffers.com. They can also go direct to our superchargedoffers.com site and download some valuable resources. We've got some eBooks and some business growth plans on there that they can download for free. They can call my uh, my customer service team on 888-538-5478 or they can also go and have a look at our Landscout site. So we've got sell.landscouts.com, which is our, our lands uh, acquisition property and, uh, and forsale.landscouts, which is our properties that we are selling as well. So and they can reach me at alicia at landscouts.com as well. So lots of different ways to reach me and I'm more than happy to speak to anybody about uh, Know, their hopes and dreams with real estate and, and as you said getting out of the rat race and becoming financially free wow we didn't think we would be able to get through all of this Alicia. i know but we did <laughs> we managed it that's very good well thank you very much i really appreciate your time thank you eric and thank you to all your listeners as well great thank you Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.